All right. If, uh, if you're just getting acquainted with Prairie Hill, one thing I want you to know is that I'm really glad you're here, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you. Um, the other thing it may be helpful to know is that we're, um, we're on a journey through the Gospel of Luke. We started that journey January of last year, January of 22, planning to finish by the end of this year. Um, we've taken a break uh, since Christmas time, actually, um, to give our attention to other things, but um, we're returning to Luke's Gospel today. Chapter 11 is where we'll be. If you want to make your way to chapter 11 in uh, Luke's Gospel, studying Luke's Gospel under the theme of the kingdom of God and asking ourselves the question as we go through what is the kingdom of God like? And uh, we've made our way to the first part of chapter 11 today, verses 1 through 13. Simple point of the text today is that when we pray to God, we should pray with simplicity, audacity, and confidence. We'll read the passage, and then we'll see how Jesus communicates those three things to us, okay? Did you catch those? When we pray to God, we should pray with simplicity, with audacity, and with confidence. If you're able to stand for the reading of the word, I invite you to do that. This is what we find as we begin chapter 11, Gospel of Luke. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask you? Father, we believe that these are the words that you want us to have about prayer. Show us what they mean, please, so that our faith will be increased and our enjoyment 
of your glorious person will be increased and our communion with you will be increased. We want to learn. We thank you that Jesus was willing to teach. Make us good students as we give our our minds to you and our hearts as well. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. All right, please be seated. In the first section, verses 1 through 4, we see that we may pray to God with simplicity. Jesus is asked for instruction on how to pray, and he responds with a simple example of words that we may offer to God in prayer. Now, looking at this instruction that he gives, let's first of all notice what he doesn't say. Notice what's not here when he's asked to teach on prayer. Teach us to pray. Notice what he doesn't say anything about. What's here about posture? He doesn't say anything about posture. He doesn't say anything about body language. He doesn't say anything about, hey, make sure that when you pray, your eyes are closed. Does that still happen in your, around your table? The, the pointing out of whose eyes are open and whose are closed? It doesn't say anything about eyes open or closed. It doesn't say anything about kneeling or getting in a certain position with your body. It doesn't say anything about bowing your head. Boy, we've sure put those things in place. Not saying those things are wrong, just saying that that's not here. There's nothing here about ritual. He doesn't say you have to pray this many times a day. Or when you pray, you have to face this direction. Or when you pray, you've got to wear these special clothes or ornaments, those kind of things. Head covered, head uncovered. There's nothing here about externals. That's what we're noticing. It didn't say anything about all these externals that we tack on to prayer, that other religions may tack, tack on to prayer. Just, now, okay, now notice what is here. Notice what he does say. We could divide this sample prayer into two categories. Simple expressions of adoration. Simple requests for provision. Simple expressions of adoration. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Simple request for preservation and provision. Preservation of body and soul. Father, preserve our bodies. We need bread. Father, preserve our souls. We need forgiveness. We need protection from the temptation toward evil. There's nothing complicated here. We have a very simple prayer given to us in which we simply adore the Father and ask him for the help that we need, help for our bodies, help for our souls. One of the things that can keep us from prayer, or at least keep a lot of us from praying out loud, you ever get uncomfortable when 
you're asked to pray out loud or you go to a meeting where you might have to pray out loud, one of the things that can keep us from entering into that or being willing to, to pray in front of other people is this thought that I don't know how. Like, I don't know what to say. I might say the wrong thing. I, people may think it's funny. What if, you know, I don't know the words. I don't know the right language. What if my prayer is too simple? What if I don't do it right? You ever felt that way? Over time, churches and Christians can develop their own flavor of prayer. And other things can become more important and more prominent than simple expressions of adoration, simple requests for preservation. I'll just mention a couple of examples of flavors that prayer can take on, which I would submit to you these are things to resist and try to avoid doing when we're praying, especially if we're praying out loud in front of other people. Resist the temptation to try and impress. Try and impress others while praying. That leads to the use of insider language. We might be tempted to use a word that kind of shows how much we know, how far we've progressed because we use this word and apparently we know what this word means and Maybe not everyone understands that. We can develop a desire for eloquence over reverence. Our minds can be more focused on being impressive to people rather than being in relationship with God. Prayer is for petitioning God, not for impressing people. Now, we know that. We just fall into these ruts because this is the, the water that we swim in. So it's good to remind ourselves. Resist the temptation to try and impress. Resist the temptation to try and teach. Resist the temptation to try and teach others while you're praying. Some, some people while praying, and I've certainly been guilty of this, and I have to fight this, but you listen to some people pray you know, they unconsciously kind of slide from prayer into lecture. And all of a sudden, as you hear them praying, you realize that really they're trying to teach everyone who's listening something, right? There's nothing wrong with lecturing, nothing wrong with teaching. It's just not what a prayer is for. To show how much we know and begin to give a, a theological treatise on, on some issue. So we easily drift into these ruts. They were carved out a long time ago. We fall into them when we pray on autopilot. When we pray, it's not time to impress. It's not time to teach. It's time to, it's time to adore God and bring our requests to him. Requests for preservation of our body and our soul. Before we move on to the next thing that Jesus emphasizes, and we've, remember we've got three this morning, simplicity, audacity, and confidence. Before we move on, I just want to say one more thing by way of application based on the content of this simple prayer that we have before us, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Seeing that it includes these expressions of adoration and these requests for preservation, what I want to notice with you is the, the reorienting nature of prayer. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I want to notice with you the reorienting nature of prayer. It won't surprise you that 
Christians can struggle to have a meaningful, consistent prayer life. I can struggle to have a meaningful, consistent prayer life. I know I'm not the only one. I I know that this is prevalent. Prayerlessness is probably the norm among Christians today, not the exception. And it's the norm for me way more often than it should be. And what I want you to think about and notice is that prayerlessness tends to disorient us by its very nature. Because prayerlessness communicates, I don't need God. That's what we're saying when we don't pray. I don't need God. I don't need to talk with him. I don't need to ask him for anything. I don't need to make a personal response to who he is. Prayerlessness communicates fundamentally, I don't need God, which of course is a lie. Prayerlessness is founded on a lie. The lie that we don't need God. The lie that we're not dependent on him for anything when we're actually dependent on him for everything. Every single breath, we are completely in his hands, body and soul. That's why we can speak of the reorienting nature of prayer. In prayer, we rehearse and we remember what's true. That God is holy and sovereign. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. We put God in his proper place. We put ourselves in our proper place. I am the needy one. I'm the one who has needs. I'm the one that can't supply my own needs. Give us this day our daily bread. I need forgiveness of sin. I need to be saved from the power of temptation. When you pray, and when you pray in this way, simple expressions of adoration and request for preservation, it has a a reorienting effect on us, okay? That's what I'm saying. We live in the light of truth about God and about ourselves and about the world. So if you find yourself a little bit disoriented right now spiritually, and, and and that just happens, happens to me, it happens to you, the seasons of life. If you find yourself disoriented spiritually, you're just struggling to try to understand which way is up and which way is down, and maybe you've experienced disappointment um, with people, with the church, disappointment with God, and you're just, you're just disoriented spiritually. Here is a prayer for you, directly from Jesus, simple. You don't need complicated. You need reorienting simple truth. So I encourage you to just step in and pray yourself back into orientation very, very simply. God is high. I am low. He is king. I have needs. I can go to him in simplicity. All right, that's the first thing. We understand that we can approach God with simplicity. The next thing we see, and this is verses 5 through 9, is that we may approach God with audacity, okay? This is the really fun one. 
We can approach God with audacity. Now, where does that idea come from in the text, and what do we mean by pray with audacity? Well, regarding the text, we have this parable about going to one's neighbor at midnight, a very unconventional and inconvenient time, we might add, to approach one's neighbor. Imagine yourself in this scenario. You've got this need, whatever it is, and the need is so great And the potential for shame and embarrassment is so strong that it drives you to go to your neighbor's house and ring their doorbell at midnight. This man knocks on his neighbor's door at midnight when the neighbor would have to get out of bed. Disturbing everyone else. That's that's the the point. There's children also in bed. They're going to be disturbed if... The neighbor gets up, whole house is going to be upset, the whole routine destroyed. We see in verse 7 that the neighbor actually mentions how inconvenient it is. He mentions all these inconveniences. The door is shut. I'm in bed. Children also in bed nearby, which was not uncommon in those days. So if I get up, they're going to get up. If you're a parent, you know what a disaster that is. You finally got them down, and now you're getting up, and they're up again can't get up and give you anything. And then Jesus says in verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So now we know that that is the word we have to try to understand. That's the key thing. What is he talking about? What does that mean? Why does impudence win the day? The impudence of the man asking for bread. The NIV, I think the NIV, if you have, if that's the translation that you use, I think that is actually the best translation of this word. By the way, this word is um, it's the only time it occurs in the New Testament, this one place. Okay, So it's, it's a difficult word to translate because there's no cross-referencing you can do within the New Testament to see how it's used elsewhere. But I think the NIV does the best job. They translate this as shameless audacity. yet because of his shameless audacity. If you've got the New American Standard, they translate as shamelessness. The translation I read from, the ESV, I think actually gets it the worst, and the hardest for us to understand, impudence, and then in the notes it has, or persistence. So we're trying to understand what this quality is. Impudence or persistence is not helpful, by the way. For the the translators... Okay, I'm sure they did their best, but impudence and persistence are two very different things. If the meaning of the word is persistence, yet because of the neighbor's persistence, he'll get what he wants, that means that when we go to God and ask for something, we need to keep asking and keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. Be persistent, right? But if it's audacity, if it's impudence, if it's bold shamelessness, that's completely different. That has nothing to do with how many times we ask God for something. It has to do with the fact that we're asking at all. One time, but at this far-out time, this preposterous time, without consideration for what time it is or whether we're putting God out by asking him. And that really is the point of the parable. The shamelessness to go at midnight when it's so inconvenient 
for the friend to respond. To go ring your neighbor's bell at midnight and ask them to get up and get you what you need? What are you demonstrating there? Well, that's pretty bold, isn't it? That's among the last things that I would ever want to do. Just because of the way I am, that is putting someone way, way out to do that, right? That's pretty shameless. We would say that's audacious. And that is the point here. Now, persistence in prayer is also a virtue, right? Jesus teaches that elsewhere. That's Luke 18. That's the parable of the persistent widow. This, but that's not the teaching here. This is the parable of the audacious neighbor. And why does Jesus tell it? So that we might understand this. If bold shamelessness achieves its desired end at the human level, which it does here, how much more will it achieve its desired end at the divine level? If the neighbor who is settled and in bed and has objections, if he is able to overcome his weariness and the inconvenience of it all in order to satisfy his friend's needs, how much more will the God of heaven who doesn't go to bed and never grows weary and who cannot be inconvenienced and has no obstacles to overcome. How much more will he give you what you need? No obstacles to overcome, that is, except the fact that you're not asking. So what does that mean? What does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to just go. Go ask for whatever you want. No limitation. Be as bold and audacious as you will. Any hour. No thought to your own condition or what God is doing or whether he has time to hear you. If he's busy, just go. It is an astounding thing that God is more willing to give than we are willing to ask. It's astounding, but it's true. That God is more willing and eager to give than we are to ask. Now, what's the basis for making that statement? How do we know that that's actually true? Well, the, the basis for making that statement is the fact that we have to be encouraged to ask all the time. That's basically this whole passage is Jesus saying, how many more different ways can he say it? Ask, seek, knock, go. Why are you not going? Same thing, John 14 and John 15. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Same thing in the book of James. You don't have because you don't ask. God, on the other hand, doesn't have to be encouraged to give. He's just a giver by nature. We, on the other hand, we hold back. We have to be encouraged to ask. We have to be reminded to ask. 
We have to be encouraged to ask boldly and audaciously for big things, impossible things. Have you ever noticed that the whole tenor of Jesus' teaching on prayer is always ask more? Why are you not asking more? Ask, seek, knock. Never once does he go to his disciples and say, cool it on the prayer requests. You're asking for a little too much. It never happens. It's just the opposite. You know, no one in the Bible ever gets rebuked for asking too much of God. But there are those who get rebuked for not asking enough of him. 2 Kings 13 is one example of that. Someone got rebuked because they didn't ask a big enough thing from God. Maybe you're not asking anything of God. Maybe you're not asking enough of God. I was convicted by this passage as I prepared this week. I was convicted that I was laying no bold, audacious prayer before God. I was convicted that um, I myself am limiting God in my request to what I think is possible and what I think he might be likely to do. So if I had to compare myself to someone, I would compare myself to a person who goes to their neighbor at 4.30 when they see them coming home from work and go and ask them for a loaf of bread because I'm choosing the most convenient time, the time that's most likely to succeed to get the best possibility of things getting done. That's what I'm like. And that's, this parable is completely the opposite of that. Be different. Be bold. I just want to ask you to consider what audacious prayer that you might lay before God starting today. As you think about that, about what kind of an audacious request you might make of God, ask yourself this question too. Is, there, is it possible that right now you might be trying to work for something that you should actually be asking for? I think that's very common. I think we want something good. But we try to work for what we want rather than ask God for what we want. I'll give you an example. I've got a, a really good friend that I've been talking with lately about how we, we share this desire to have a greater love for Christ. We want to love Jesus more. So, okay, well, what are you going to do if that's your desire? Maybe you're going to read a book. Maybe you're going to pray more. Maybe you're going to try to be more obedient. Have you ever thought about asking God for that gift? God, give me a greater love for Christ. Do you think that's a prayer that God might be willing to answer with a yes. Not just a greater love for Christ. Give me a, a love for Christ that threatens to consume me. That's just one example. Are you trying to work for something that you should actually be asking God to give to you? Now, asking doesn't rule out working. 
But working should never rule out asking. Ask, seek, knock. Take an audacious prayer request to God. I've got my own that I have begun praying. It's an audacious request. I'm too embarrassed to tell you what it is. But I'm not too embarrassed to tell God what it is anymore. And I hope you go home today and consider that and present your own audacious, bold, shameless request to God. And I encourage you to be as bold as you can. I think that's what he delights to hear, okay? We ought to pray with simplicity. We ought to pray with audacity. Finally, we're taught to pray with um, confidence. That's the last part of the passage, verses 10 through 13. Simplicity, audacity, also confidence. Confidence in what? There are at least three things that we can pull out. We'll limit ourselves to these three things that we can have confidence in. The first one we can find in verse 10. We should have confidence that we will be heard. Jesus says that everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. So at a minimum, his promise means that we will always be listened to. If there is always a response to the one asking, if everyone who asks receives, if everyone who seeks finds, if everyone who knocks the door is open to, that means that that person is always heard and they're always responded to. It means that we're always noticed, always heard when we come to our Father. And that's no small thing. I had an appointment recently. Not with anyone in this church. And as I was walking into the place where we were meeting, um, I had this thought to myself. I'm a little bit hesitant to share it with you. Um, but I'm going to. And then at least you'll have one more fresh piece of evidence that your pastor really is a very fallen person. Way more fallen than you even realized. But as I was walking in to, to meet this person that I had an appointment with, I, I thought to myself, you know... I don't think it's very likely that I'm actually going to be heard. Based on my past experience with this person, I think if we do the kind of the typical, hey, how are you? How are things going? What's new with you? Um, the person is just going to be doing other things, really not paying attention to what I say. So why go through the effort of giving a thoughtful response? Okay. Do you ever think about things like that? That's what was going on in my soul as I was going into this, into this appointment. That I could speak, but I, I thought it was pretty unlikely that I'd actually be heard or listened to. And that was a really discouraging thought. By the way, let, let me just say, the person that I met with was way more gracious than I, uh, than I thought they would be an exemplary listener. But think about this, Christian, what we humans are unwilling to do for each other. You may have had experiences with people you just feel like they don't hear you. What we are unwilling to do for each other, God does for us every time. God listens in complete 
silence. Never interrupts you. He will listen as long as you want to talk. And no matter how long you talk to him, he always wants to hear more. What dignity we bestow on a person when we listen to them. And what dignity God bestows on us, he listens. That's his first gift in prayer. He who is the great one listens to you and me. We can pray with the confidence that we're heard. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. We can pray with the confidence that we will be heard in any condition. Any spiritual condition, that is. That's what we find in verse 13. We can have confidence that we'll be heard in any condition that we come to him in. One thing that can keep us from praying is this feeling that I'm not clean enough to go to God. Like, I have not been holy enough lately to talk to him. He will not receive me. He will not be in a listening mood right now because he is angry because I've done X, Y, or Z. I've got to somehow clean myself up first, cleanse myself a bit, and then I can approach God. We've messed up. We've sinned. We're not holy enough. But notice here in verse 13, you see the word evil in the text? Notice here that we are evil, that reality is admitted, and that the Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. God gives the Holy Spirit to evil people who ask him. Let me tell you something. If God is willing to give the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to an evil person, if he hears and responds so graciously and generously to that request from an evil person, he will certainly respond to you in any condition that you come to him in. He's already done the great thing. So how much more will he do the lesser thing? That's Paul's argument at the end of Romans 8, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Of course he will. If he's already given his son the great thing, how much more will he do the lesser thing? Same thing here. If God has already demonstrated that he's willing to give the Holy Spirit to an evil person, you certainly don't have to clean yourself up before you come to him. God does not hear you on the basis of your goodness. He hears you on the basis of his goodness. His love for his children. Don't let sin drive you away from God. Let sin drive you to God to receive his precious gifts of forgiveness and repentance. We can be confident that we'll be heard in any condition. Finally, third thing, 
confidence that we will be heard and receive what is good, what is truly good. When we pray, we can have confidence that we will be heard. Confidence that we will be heard in any condition. And finally, according to what we see in verses 11 through 13, confidence that we will be heard and receive what is good. One question that we might uh, have making our way through this text, and especially you who have a very specific prayer request in mind, there's something that you really, really want. You're wondering, is this text teaching that I will definitely get it? Because it says, whoever asks receives, right? So does this text teach that we will receive whatever we ask for? No. No, I don't think so. It's not what the text promises. It does promise that the one who asks will receive. It doesn't say what they'll receive. Is the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks it will be open. So there will be a response, according to verse 10. According to verses 11 through 13, that response from God will be good. If earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more God, right? Earthly Fathers and earthly mothers, for that matter, are able to demonstrate the, the wisdom and the goodness to vet the requests of their children and give them what is truly good. That means that their children don't always get exactly what they ask for, but they always get what is good. And that's because their parents always have their best long-term interest in mind because there's love in that relationship. If we know how to do that at the human level, to be truly good to our children and vet their requests for goodness, how much more does God do likewise and do perfectly what we do imperfectly? So a very simple way to say the same thing is that God loves you so much as your heavenly father. He loves you so much that he will not say yes to everything you ask him to do for you. He won't say yes to every request that you make. Only those and only at such a time as is truly good for you. Isn't that comforting? That he doesn't always give us what we ask for that God can vet our prayer requests and he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's able to take Moses' request to die and Jonah's request that he might die and Elijah's request that he might die and he's able to vet those and not allow them to die. And when James and John come requesting this thing that's not good, he's able to vet that request and give them what's good. And when Peter wants to stay on the mountain and live there, For a long time, he's able to vet that request and know what is truly good. Because we do not always pray for good things. We're much more likely to pray for desirable things. Because we're impulsive, prone to despair and unwellness, but God knows our frame, and He knows our bent. 
and he is eternal, and he sees the big picture. He guides your life with loving providence. Always listens to you. Always works for your good. So what confidence we can have as we pray to him. This is what Jesus would have us know about prayer. That when we pray to our Heavenly Father, we can go in simplicity. We should go with audacity and in complete confidence. Amen. Father, we're so glad that you are the way you are. We rejoice in who you are. So thank you that we can come to you in any condition, that you've seen us at our worst, that when we're in Christ, there's no partition, nothing remains. We can come right to you. Thank you that you're always working for our good. I pray uh, for the person who is praying to you this morning with a very specific request, really wanting to, to have you answer that request just so. Give them, um, give them patience. Give them perseverance. Give them great confidence in your wisdom and your goodness. We submit ourselves to you. We say thank you for our, our wonderful teacher, Jesus, and pray in his holy name.